I serve here as the church business administrator and as the missions pastor. Sounds like children, doesn't it? And I brought water today because I'm not used to speaking up here and I will get nervous and get a dry mouth. And if you're not, so send me some grace. And if you're not used to being in church and hearing from people like me, that's fine. We'll extend you some grace. So sit down and relax. I'll probably go on for quite a while. Hope you don't have the chicken on a timer. Also, I told them I hated that. I'm going to keep moving so that they can't get me. Because when I was very young, my father told me that I had a face for radio. Yeah. He really did. I'm not making that part up. So um, my name is Jim Rowan. I work here. 17 years I've been here. But I was saved here at Central April 15th of 1994 up in the front building. And I was already an old man when that happened. I'm just getting older. I think it's important that we know when we became a believer. Because to be a believer isn't to accept something and say, okay, I think I got it. It really is to radically change your lives. The word repent is actually a military command. It means about faith, go the other way. And some people who reinterpret the Greek, that stinks having that thing on your head. But, uh, you know, to get a doctorate at seminary, you have to come up with a new idea. So now there's some people saying it's actually a tactic from the Greek army where they would begin to run away and then when repent meant turn around and run back and attack. So I don't know if that's true or not. That's just the latest, greatest theory coming out of seminary. But I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I was saved and I was blessed to have a mentor who spent time with me for for three years. And, and then he invited me to go on a mission trip in September of 1997. And I went along to uh, play guitar and sing and pray. And it was an evangelical outreach in a place called Marshawn Dessalines, Haiti, that I still go to uh, here, what, 20 years later. I still go back a couple times a year. But we went down there, and uh, I was very bored. There was like a three- or four-hour service in the evening, and there was nothing for me to do in the daytime except be in deep prayer. Well, you know, I'm good for about two minutes, maybe three. And then my mind wanders and i got to pull myself back. And, you know, George, there are people that can pray for hours and I have a lot of respect for them. That is not me. Um, <clears throat> so I was not... I was bored and I started wandering around trying to find something to do. And in the carport at the mission compound, they had this huge box. So I asked the doctor there, Dr. Dan Snyder. He actually used to be a member here at this church when this was Westside Baptist Church. Then he went over to Haiti. And I asked him what was in the box. And he said, I don't know. People send us all sorts of stuff. Well, can I open it up? And it was a refrigerator. It was a solar-powered refrigerator. But it had all of the stuff in it. It had the wires Six-volt marine batteries, had a solar panel, had this refrigerator. So I just spent the day, I put it together, put the doors on, you know, ran the wire, put the panel up on the roof, plugged it in, and had two ice cube trays in the freezer. So I filled those up with water, and I put those in there, and then we went off to the crusade, which lasted, like I said, about four hours. 
um, worship in Haiti is very interesting. So after four hours or so, we go back, and I open that freezer door, and there was ice cubes out in the middle of nowhere. And so uh, there were probably, I'm guessing, 20 people that lived on the compound. There were 10 of us on our team. So we just gave ice cubes to each of the missionaries and their kids and their spouse. One ice cube. You know, big whoopee, right? But I'm a little theatrical to kind of make a big deal out of it. And uh, there's this one doctor there, a lady. Her name's Dr. Paula. And she started weeping. I mean, not a sniffle. She is weeping. And uh, that was pretty weird. So a few minutes later, I wandered over to where Dan was. And it's like, the lady got pretty upset over a stupid ice cube. You know, what's the deal? And he said, no, you don't understand. Now we can have insulin here at the hospital. We have people who die every day from diabetes, but we haven't been able to keep insulin because we haven't had a refrigerator. When he said that, it really changed my life. It was one of those seminal moments that, that me, I, even me, could do something and be effective in the mission field. Because thinking of missionaries, we're always these holy, holy saints, you know, who walk on water and float around on the clouds or something. But just me, a real person, I could go do something and help. It really changed my life. Came back here and we actually formed a missions team here at Central. About 15 years I think we've had it now. I don't know if you know this, but what you tithe to Central, a tithe of that, 10% of that goes to the missions field. And in the last 15 years, we've spent a little over $2 million. A lot of money. I do not have a house in the Bahamas, I promise you. A little bitty house right down here. But, um, I mean, that's remarkable. A church our size has invested over $2 million in the missions in the last 15 years. And we support, I had to write it down because I couldn't remember them all. We support doctors, pilots, teachers. We support a veterinarian in a very closed country, orphanages, soup kitchens, hospitals, clinics, farms, homes for the handicapped, homes for um, those that are being set free out of human trafficking. We help support the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, the North American Mission Board, and the Williamson Baptist Association. Currently, Central sends support to 25 families in the foreign mission field. And we support 11 families and individual missionaries here in the United States. We give money to 17 organizations. That ranges everything from the children's, uh, Texas Baptist Children's Home to the Round Rock Serving Center, again, the soup kitchen downtown. So what you do here has a great impact throughout the world. I want to tell you another story. Doctor, and I, that's what I am as a storyteller, so you'll get bored with this pretty quick. Dr. Dan called me about six months later on a landline. Anybody remember those? They actually plugged into the wall. And uh, he said, we got this new deal. Can you come down and set it up? Well, what is it? It's a shortwave email so we can communicate. Because out in this valley in the middle of the mountains, there was no way to... Even radios didn't work. So I went down there, and here are these crates, and we opened them up and put together this shortwave radio deal, and then we had to run 400 feet of antenna through the trees and down the hospital and over. You know, it was pretty interesting. And 
took me most of a week to get it running, but it actually worked. It was pretty cool. I was pretty proud of that. Came back to Central about two months later. We had a, a visitor come stand right here where I'm standing today named Tim Bunnell. And Tim Bunnell had just graduated college where he'd gotten a missionary pilot degree and an aircraft mechanic degree, a pilot certification, a pilot trainer certification, an aircraft mechanic certification, and an aircraft mechanic instructor certification. And he felt he was ready to go to the mission field and fly airplanes for Mission Aviation Fellowship out in remote Africa. And he came here, he was from Amarillo, to try to help raise support so he could take he and his family at the time, I think it was a wife and two kids. And they were going to go out to Africa. And he started telling this church, and I was sitting right there, tomorrow, row four, section six. If you didn't know it, that's section six. If you ever do the collection, you know my word. Do you have assigned seats here? It's weird to be in the other service and see who sits in my seat. That's okay. I won't hold it against you. And... uh Tim came up here and started talking, and he went through all that MAF does. They move doctors, they move pastors and preachers around in third world countries. They deliver mail, they move medical supplies, they take people to major hospitals for treatment. I mean, it's a pretty cool ministry. And then he said, let me tell you this, he said, we just started this new deal. It's an email by a shortwave radio. And he said, I want to show you this email here. This is from a doctor in remote Haiti. And he was, he was writing to his dad in Michigan to ask questions about, um, well, um, for the maternity ward, it was about C-section complications. It was like, okay, this is, I just did that. There was a relationship there. It's funny how when we look, God puts things together. We began as a church to support Tim Vanell, and actually we sent him a check Last month? This month. We're already into July. And so um, that's how the missions program at Central has worked. It's through relationships. It's people we know. It's people that we know who know people. It's family members. It's former members. It's people that have gone out any way that we can help. We try to be very responsible as we invest your money. We take that as a is a very sacred responsibility. We actually go out and check up on people to make sure they're in active ministry, not just hiding in Paris, you know, being a missionary. Um, this is going to be a little bit different mission sermon than you probably ever he- heard before. I don't have any pictures of starving people or um, babies with flies in their eyes. I'm not going to ask you for any money, and I don't want any of your time. I do want you to consider a few Bible verses with me. The first one I want to look at is Matthew 28, 18-20. Like the seminal missions verse. Okay, that drives me nuts. Did you ever have a wire connecting your head to your back? I'm radioactive. Matthew 28:18 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the second verse, very similar, that people use in missions is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And that says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. These were not um, holy suggestions. These were commands. We look at the Matthew 28 verse. It's in the imperative form. And it's for everyone. It's not just for some people. Now, not everyone's supposed to be in, you know, downtown Jungleville, Uganda or whatever. We all have places where we can minister. Sometimes the words ministry and minister and missions get all confused, but they're all really similar. They're all really similar. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, Paul wrote, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And you've heard that verse discussed here before. You've heard Mark say that the word um, handiwork could be translated as masterpiece. That we are God's masterpieces. Or me, it could be craft project. (laughs) God's craft project. (coughs) Excuse me. We are not stamped out. We are not the same. There are seven billion people, so they say, on this earth. I haven't counted them. But they're all uniquely and wonderfully made according to the Scriptures. And each and every one of them is God's masterpiece. It's God's handiwork. A custom job. You're a custom job. You're special. There's no one else like you. And you were created in Christ Jesus to do action word. Do is an action word. To do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. There's something out there. I don't know what it is. I'm still trying to figure it out for myself. But there's something out there for you to do. That God created you to do. He prepared the work for you to do it. In advance, before you were born. I don't know what it is, but it's out there. According to this scripture, have some people tell me, well, you know, I worked 20 years in the nursery. I did my time. It's somebody else's turn. I'm too old to be doing that. I got to focus on this here. And I want to put one more verse up there. And it's out of the book of Isaiah, verse chapter 62, verse 6. It says, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem, and they will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. That's a hard verse. Do you know the word retire is not in the Scriptures? Give yourselves no rest? Really? We look at the first century church. I'm sorry, I keep looking at the clock because I've got to be conscious of time. Somebody's cooking a chicken. If that baby burns, it's going to be my fault, I know. Anyway. If we look at the Scriptures, God has something for you to do. And God wants you to do it. 
find it interesting that Paul wrote all this stuff about the second coming of Christ. And he said, don't even get married unless you have to. You need to focus on this. It's fixing to happen. It's coming now. I mean, if you read his writings, he's anticipating the Lord returning any day. It didn't happen. It's 2,000 years later and it still hasn't happened. What's up with that? What's up with that? Was Paul wrong? Is that scripture wrong? Was Paul inerrant? Was Paul incorrect? Did he make a mistake? Maybe not. Maybe God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Maybe Paul was writing truth, but maybe there's another element that didn't get fulfilled. Maybe there's work for us, the church, to do. Maybe there's something we're supposed to be accomplishing to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Maybe there's something we're supposed to do that we haven't got it done yet. You know, the early church, the first century church, were totally focused on living their life as Christians. Yeah, they had to go out and work some, but they met daily. House to house. They broke bread together. They prayed. They listened to the apostles' teaching. They were so much into it, like the Amish people or something. Did you really do that, Jeff? Is that only up there for me to say? Um, Do you know there's a projector on the back wall? I always say when I'm teaching the book of Romans, it's spelt wrong. It's really the book of Rowan's. That's my name. He changed it back. Because they always get the W upside down. It's really because, you know, Romans 7.15, why do I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I know I ought to do? The book of Romans was written for me. Honest. But the early church, these people were so focused on living a God-honoring Christian life that people called it the way. Well, that's the way those people do. That's the way they live. Can we be identified by that? I don't know if I could be convicted of that crime. But I need to find out what is the work God prepared in advance for me to do. Because I want to do it. I want to be a good and faithful servant. We all do. You know, we didn't wander in here today to waste an hour. We all want to honor God. That's why we're here. So being weird, I came up with a formula. Of course, you've got to have a formula, right? So I have a formula to figure it all out. And the first thing we have to have is a mission, a ministry, a motivation. What is yours? I don't know. We're all uniquely made. I've heard Mark say something about a holy discontent. Is there something that just... Or maybe there's something joyful. Maybe you like holding little babies. Nursery is not my calling. But then some of you can't survive in the jungle in Africa, maybe. We all have different roads to walk. But what is that thing in you that's part of who you are? I find it sad that Christians have abdicated so much of the righteousness in our world. You know... There's hardly any Christians in the environmental movement. We completely backed away from that. That's a bunch of tree huggers. That's a bunch of wackos. But God told Adam that he was responsible. Take care of it. 
We have nothing to do with the animal rights movement. Those are some weird people. But God told Noah, you can eat the animals, but you're now stewards. You're responsible for them. What if some of us Christians were in those movements earning a right to be heard? Yes, I care about the baby whales, but also care about the baby humans. See, those are people that won't even listen to us because we haven't earned that right to be heard. There are probably people in this room that care about environmental issues. And I know there's a lot of you in here that are already actively involved in ministries. But I think we're all supposed to be actively involved in ministries. So anyway, I have M. What's your mission? What's your ministry? And then there's something else. You know, we have experience. And psychologists, all the smart people that tell you that we are the sum total of our parts. You know, what we've been through, what we survived, all the influences we've had, our education, our upbringing. Some people even get into what number were you in the family? Guess I was middle child. You're right. Number three of eight. So it's number three of seven. Sorry. Does all this influence who we are, how we are? What have you survived? What are your experiences? They say that experience brings good judgment, but the truth is most of my experiences come from really poor judgment. When I exercise good judgment, I don't get much experience. But there's something that you have survived, that you have overcome. Maybe it's a little thing. Maybe it's a big thing. But it's shared experience that is the foundation of all support groups, of all 12-step programs, of a lot of counseling. It's shared experiences. As I suffer through whatever I'm going through now, I don't even know if I can make it till tomorrow. And you may be someone who already went through that. You've come out the other side successfully. That's someone I can talk to. That's someone I can hear from. Because a bunch of people telling me, oh, things will be fine. That means nothing to me when I'm in the middle of a crisis. But someone who's been in that crisis saying, this, this is how this will resolve. This is what will happen next. That carries a lot of weight. And so when I do my equation, I do mission, but I do times experience. I don't think it's a simple addition project, process. I think it's an empowering. I think it's a... I think it's a multiplication process. And now you have a mission and you have an experience, but we need power. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. In the Greek, breath, pneuma. You know, the first thing you do when you're born is take a breath. And the last thing you do when you die The breath is that important. And Jesus said, I will send you power. Right back here. Acts 1, but you will receive power. Remember Jesus said he would send, he had to go so he could send the counselor. Or some people translate it the completer. But that word's pneuma, the wind, the breath of God. And when we use that power that God has put into us as Christians, again, it isn't just a simple multiplication Factor, it takes us to a higher power. So I read that as M E squared. 
There's your, there's your formula. Everybody ready to go back to school? A little algebra? Three weeks, I think, school starts. Four weeks? But I don't read it as ME squared. I, I read that as me too. Because I believe that's the most powerful thing in ministry. When I can stand there and say, yeah, me too. Me too. It's not judgmental. It's sympathy. It's empathy. It's compassion. It's caring. Sharing. It's everything God intended us to do. Yeah, me too. I've seen a lot of people come through these doors into this church over the 24 years I've been a member. Some people have come in wounded. And there were times we've been accused and been called a hospital church. Like that was a bad thing. I thought it was a pretty good thing. I like that name. But people come in and then they, they have issues. They have problems. They're in crisis. And they get healed. Hopefully through our ministry. Reaching people. Touching people. But so often then they leave. Because we know all their garbage. You know my history. I want to go somewhere else where I can start afresh, start anew. I've got a clean slate. I can be Joe Normal. I never aspired to be normal, not for one minute. Never was my goal. What if the things that God can use for His glory... Oh, I skipped that one, didn't I? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. All things? Really? All things? I can see it in the good things and the easy things. The hurtful things? The pain I've been through? The trauma? The evil things I've done? God can use that for His glory? That's what the Scripture says. How can that be? Only if we share it. Only if we use what we have survived to help carry someone else through the same process. Now we're the body of Christ. Now we're the hands and feet. Now we're Jesus with skin on. Loving someone who's unlovable. Because we used to be there. And we were unlovable. And someone loved us. What if we all took our mission and our experience and God's power and did the things that were already put in place for us to do. What would the world look like? It would look a lot different. It would look a lot different. There's one more verse I wanted to do. It's out of the book of Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. You know, Hebrews 11 is the Faith Hall of Fame. It's got all these, you know, wonderful, wonderful people in it. Jacob and Abraham and all these heavy hitters got some who were unnamed who suffered. But then Hebrews 12.1 starts out, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a giant cloud of witnesses, all these people that we just talked about in Hebrews 11, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles let us run, 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 another action word, in case you missed it. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you might not grow weary and lose heart. So that you won't grow weary. Again, I know many of you are involved in much ministry. I'm sitting here looking at people. Pretty cool stuff. People locally, people internationally. Just a wide, wide variety and array. But are you walking in the mission, in the ministry of who you are? Are you using your life experiences and everything that God has carried you through? Are you working through the power of the Holy Spirit to reach a lost and dying world, to comfort those that God places in your life, to help those who are going through things that you've already survived? Are we hiding those away? I don't want anybody to know. But there's no power in that. And there's no ministry in that. And still Jesus doesn't return. I challenge you today. You want to ask Jonathan to come back up? Jonathan, are you here? It's driving me nuts, Jonathan. I mean, it's like wearing a big heavy earring. I don't know. I never had an earring on. Um, I want to challenge you today about the things you've hidden away in your heart. I want to challenge you today about the individuality, the uniqueness that is in your life that makes you different from everyone else. I want to challenge you today about the experiences that you've survived, the things you've learned to cope with, the way you've learned to deal with things. I don't know what that is. Sick baby? Prodigal teenager? I don't know. There's somebody else going through it today, probably in this room. If we don't share that, if we don't have enough caring to give that away, then we just are not the body of Christ. We're not doing the things He prepared for us in advance to do. To my left is the Lord's Supper. If you'd like to participate in that, I'm going to ask the elders and the pastors, our prayer partners, if they want to come forward, if you want to have somebody pray for you. But I want to ask you to consider what I've said. I want to ask you to come kneel at this altar and commit to walk in what God has for you. And if you're unwilling to do that, I'm going to ask you to come kneel to this altar and pray that God would soften your hearts, that you would be willing to walk in the ministry that He's prepared for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We take this time and all this, Lord, and lay it before your feet. I ask that you would use this to shape minds and hearts, Lord, souls, to conform people into the image of Christ. Fill us with a hunger to help. Stir up a heart of compassion, Lord, so we can minister to those you place in our lives. Pray over the youth group. Draw them near. Use this time for your glory. And I ask this in Jesus' name.